This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Today, I want to talk with you about how God changes us mentally, how he changes our thinking. So let's look again at the foundational verse that we're using for this series, which comes to us from Romans 12, verse number 2. The Apostle Paul writes, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, look at that part that I underlined for you. That's what I want us to focus on today. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I've talked about this the first two weeks, that the good news is God wants to transform you. He will transform you as you work with him. But in the second part of this this, uh, sentence, he says that transformation happens as we are transformed in our thinking. So the first question that came to my mind was, why do we need to be transformed in the way that we think? Paul says here, if you're changed in the way you think, it'll transform your whole life. If that's true, why is it we need to be changed in the way we think? Well, three thoughts came to my mind. Number one, we need to be changed in the way we think because the way we think has been corrupted by the world's system, by the world's culture. It's what we've been exposed to from the moment we were born, from the the time we we were able to kind of take in and understand what's going on in the world. We have... We have taken in a philosophy of life that has corrupted us because that philosophy of life has been rooted in a fallen worldview, what we call secularism. Secularism is an attempt to move God out of every part of, your, of, of society, of life. And so our, our culture, the American culture, is, is really given to that right now through our education system, through, through so many institutions in America, we are given to the, uh, to the desire to move God out of as much of our society as possible. That is called secularism. And we've experienced that as people from the time we were able to start bringing in information and receive information in, and, and understand information in our lives. So it was taught to us in our schools. We, we picked it up, all, especially over television. It's all over the place. It's in the magazines, the books that we read. Um, it's in our news media. The world thinks in a way that is contrary to how God thinks. 
and it places in us a worldview that is contrary to how God views life, how it should be. And therefore, we've got to get this corrupted worldview out of us and get a godly worldview into us. Now, I, I want to be clear here that I am not coming down on the world this morning. Uh, we shouldn't expect the world to act any differently than the world acts. The world doesn't know Christ. It, 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 is, it is, does not know God. And therefore, it's going to act in a way that is contrary to the, the plans and the purposes and the values of God. So I'm not coming down on the world today. Uh, we shouldn't think that they would act any differently than, than they, they act because that's the values of the world and that's just to be expected. And I also want to say that not everything from the world is bad. There are many things that come from society and from our culture that are good. I, I mentioned that our school systems give us a worldly, uh, a worldly view of life. Our, our, it, it influences and distorts uh, God's way of thinking, but our school system also gives us very positive things. It teaches us very positive, so it's, it's not like it's all bad. The news media, it, it does give stuff that's from a very worldly point of view, but it also does inform us about things that we need to know. On and on and on we could go. Not everything in the world is bad, so I, I want to be clear about that, but interwoven with the good that come from the institutions of the world can be a worldview that is often opposite to God's will, God's way of seeing things. And so therefore, it has infused that into us, a, a worldview, it has given to us a worldview that is contrary to the will of God. God's will brings good to our lives, not evil. Jeremiah 29, 11, we sang it just a, a few moments ago, that God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a powerful thing. God, I want your plan for my life, absolutely. But to receive God's plan for your life will require that you learn a, a new way of thinking about life and living. It's, if you've been a part of my New Believers class, I've talked about this. It's what I've called changing the DNA, the spiritual DNA of how you think. You understand the DNA. We have been given a DNA of thinking from our culture that is contrary to God. If we're going to live victorious lives, we've got to be people who allow God to change the way that we think. The, we, the DNA of how we think has been corrupted. And that will ultimately leave us far away, far from God and from his purposes for us. The, the DNA of, of worldly thinking, it was on display through the three presidential debates. Need I say more about how corrupted the, the DNA of worldly thinking is. The DNA of worldly thinking is what's producing the horrific issues in the Middle East right now, which spills over into the rest of the world as well. That's worldly, secular thinking out of the will of God, out of uh, the will of the true God. 
The, the DNA of worldly thinking, getting it down to where we live, will, will keep us in fear. It'll produce in us uh, an anxious heart, an unsettled heart. It'll, it'll, give you, it'll make you an embittered person, an angry and rage-filled person. But the DNA of spiritual thinking from God will keep your mind at peace. You will have peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Now, notice the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So if you're trying to find uh, peace for your soul, if you're trying to find a purpose for life, if you're trying to find contentment in your own spirit, you will not find it in the world. You can become the richest man in the world, and you will still not necessarily have peace. The only way you get peace is through Jesus Christ and being brought into a right relationship with God. The world, money, advancement, stuff, things will not give you peace. Only God can fill the part of your soul that he was designed to fill. And so when you try to put stuff in that hole, when you try to put money in that hole, it's like a square peg in a round hole. It will not fit. It will not work. So we need to change our, our thinking because we have been corrupted by worldly philosophies. All right? Now, the second reason you need you need to have your thinking transformed is because the way you think controls your life. And so nearly every act that you commit starts with a thought. If, if you don't think it, you don't do it. God tells us in Proverbs 4.23, be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Isn't that amazing? That's a powerful statement. Your thinking shapes your decisions. Your thinking shapes then your whole life. Now, most of us are by nature negative thinkers because that's one of the ways that the fall has affected the human race. Our fallen nature just naturally goes negative for most people anyway. So that maybe that helps you understand why faith is such a battle for you because the fact that faith is hard ought to be proof that faith is real because the devil never opposes something that's phony or fake. He only opposes that which is truth. He opposes that which is real. He opposes faith. He hates it when you demonstrate faith because faith will control your thinking and your thinking will control and shape the life that, that you live and what you become as a person. All right, so today you are what your thinking was yesterday. And that might be way back. What your thinking was a year ago. What your thinking was five years ago. You are, and I am today, what our thinking was back then. And we have to realize that this has a powerful impact upon our lives. So we've got to make sure that our thinking is transformed, is changed by, by God because if, if it's not, then we will not be transformed as people. Now, the third reason I think you have to have your mind transformed is because it's the battleground for sin. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Temptation 
is the pull of man's own evil thoughts and wishes. Now that's in the mind. So, so when, our, when we have this fallen nature and then we have the enemy, the enemy comes against us, but our fallen nature works right along with him because it just naturally goes his direction. It's only as the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to change us, we start thinking differently that we can resist the work of the enemy against us. But here James says this temptation comes against us when uh, our own thoughts and wishes have been corrupted. Uh, These evil thoughts then lead to what? Of course, evil actions, and that ultimately leads to the judgment of God. So there you have the process of it all. Your thoughts, if your thoughts are evil, your actions will be evil, at least potentially, and that will lead always to the judgment of God. And the judgment of God may not happen immediately. And so some people think the judgment of God never comes because it doesn't come immediately. But just because it doesn't come by this afternoon or, or Thursday morning doesn't mean it's not coming. God in his grace will work with you to try to pull you back and to get your thinking right so your life can be right. But if you refuse that, eventually judgment will come. Jesus said in John 10.10, he says, the thief here, and this is talking, of course, about the devil. He's calling the devil a thief. The thief's purpose is to steal. Well, any thief's purpose is to steal. That's the nature of a thief, right? They want to take what you have. So the thief is out to steal, and if he has to, he'll kill you to get what you have. He'll destroy your future in order to uh, uh, make his future better. Now, Jesus says, you got to understand that about the working of the enemy against you, and your old way of thinking goes right along with this. It goes right along with it. You'll fall into the trap of uh, of stealing, killing, and destroying if you don't understand that that's from the enemy. So the next time you're tempted and it feels so good and it feels like it's going to be just right for you, what you, what you need to understand is that the purpose of the enemy is not to make your life better. The purpose of the enemy is to ultimately steal, kill, and destroy you. He'll steal your potential. He'll kill your future. He'll destroy your life. And there are, there are scores of people in this room right now who would say, if we could hear their testimony, they would say, I thought what I was getting into was really going to make make things great for my life. I thought it's exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I needed for my life, whatever that was. Only I found out too late that it it killed my future. It destroyed me. It stole my my sense of value and and of self-worth. It God, and it was, it was a disaster. But I thank God that because of his grace and mercy, I am now a new person and I've been changed. But, but still, you, you understand what I'm saying? When, when you fall into the trap of the enemy and he, and he suckers you into something, it's never to make your life better. His ultimate goal is to destroy you. Then Jesus says, but contrary to that, is I have come that you might have life in its completeness, in its fullness. And that life only comes through a transformed mind. It it, it comes only so you can give your life to Jesus Christ and not have this transformation happen. 
because only as your mind transforms and you get a new way of thinking about life does this victory come into your life. That comes when you surrender your heart and mind to Christ. So now you know why Paul says here in Romans 12 too that if you want to be transformed, you've got to change the way you think. Now, a lot of us, we believe that God is the one who changes our minds. He changes our thinking. And so because we believe that, we say, well, if I just pray more, then, then my mind will be changed and everything will be different. I just have to pray enough. And prayer is a powerful thing because that's how we connect with God. But the truth is, you are the one who changes your thinking. You are. You can change your depressive thoughts. You can change your lustful thoughts. You can change your fearful thoughts. Maybe you think that your thoughts are just who you are and you can't change it. They're uncontrollable, but they are not. Have you ever said to yourself, no, I'm not going to do that. I've changed my mind. Have you ever changed your mind? Now, some of you, you would really like to actually change your mind. You know, I'd like to have that guy's mind, you know. I'd like to be that sharp. Boy, I've thought that several times. I've been so impressed with other people. I'd like to actually have their brain, you know. But just in the regular sense of life, I've changed my mind over something. And we've all done that. Maybe you were going to buy a new house or something or buy a new car. Or maybe you were going to uh, get into a relationship or even take the relationship to the point of marriage or whatever. But, you know, just before you bought the house or the car, you got married or whatever, you changed your mind. And, and I want to suggest to you that if you have the ability to change your mind about uh, an issue regarding a, a future spouse or an issue regarding a future purchase, you also have the ability to change your mind about what you allow to control you. And the Holy Spirit will help you. Now, this is what I want you to see. It starts with you making it, God helps you through the power of the Spirit and the power of his word to transform your thinking. But it starts with you changing your mind. Now, your thoughts are the result of the seeds that you have planted in your mind. So whether it was the, what you planted yesterday or what you planted a year ago or whatever, they are they are growing up the seeds you planted, and they're now bringing forth a harvest. So if you have planted seeds of pornography, you're going to have a lustful mind. If you've planted seeds of self-sufficiency, like I don't need anybody's help, I can do it on my own, you're going to, be, you're going to have a worried and fearful mind because eventually that whole thing's going to collapse under you. And it's not going to work. If, if all you do is watch TV, you're going to have a carnal mind, all right? So your mind is what you are investing in. It's what you're planting into it. But you can change your mind by changing what you feed it, all right? So let me suggest three choices that will help you transform your mind. Number one, feed your mind with truth. Now, this goes back to what I was talking about just a few moments ago about changing the spiritual DNA of how you think. Well, how do you do that? 
The first thing you've got to know, if you're going to fill your mind with truth, what is truth? Pilate, standing in front of Jesus, just before Jesus crucified, he looks to Jesus and he says, what is truth? What a paradox. Here he is, standing in front of truth personified, um, incarnate, and he doesn't recognize truth. And he says, what is truth? Well, every, people are asking that today. What is truth? Maybe you're asking. You've got to know what the truth is. So Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, that the word of God is truth. If you want to go to the source of truth, you go to the word of God. So whatever is taught in the world, if it goes against God's word, it is not true. Because God's word is truth. Let me just give you a for, for an, a, an example, a for instance. When I was growing up as a kid, we were taught evolution. But it was taught to us as the theory of evolution. And some of you who are my age will remember that. It was taught as the theory of, it wasn't taught as a fact, it was taught as a theory. The reason it was taught so strongly as a theory is because most of the teachers who taught it didn't believe it. They, they were people who believed Genesis 1-1 that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were forced to teach that, but they didn't teach it with conviction. Everything has changed now. Evolution is taught as a fact. I want you to know this morning, evolution is still a theory. It doesn't matter what they say on nature shows, that evolution caused such and such an adaption. I think, boy, evolution is smart. How, do they know, how did it know to do that, you know, to help that species, you know? Man, evolution. You know, the fact of the matter is evolution is not smart. There's a God behind creation who is smart, and he's the one who made it happen. And so when I watch television at a nature show or I go to a school uh, classroom, which I don't <laughs> go too much to anymore, but when, when, you know, if you're in a school setting and the teacher says evolution you know, what, what I know to be true is that God said in the beginning he created it and I don't accept what they say about evolution. I may listen to what they have to say, but my, the foundation of my life is built on in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God's word is truth and so anything that is taught that is contrary to God's word is, is, is wrong. It just simply is wrong. God's word is right. So how do you renew or transform your mind? You've got to get God's word into your life. And some of us, we have more television in our life than we do God's word. And, and we've got to think about that. So let me give you five steps real quickly. Number one, this is deep. You've got to read God's word. If you're going to get God's word into you, you've got to read God's word. Now, I, I need, I'm a guy who needs systems. You know, some of you are the same way. You read God's word by opening up the Bible somewhere and then go boom like that, and you say, oh, that's the verse for me for today. You know, that's not a good way to study the word of God or to read the word of God. I need a system that works me through it. And so uh, about 25 years ago, they invented something called the one-year Bible, and uh, I, the, the title says it all. You know, you read what they have there, and you'll go through the Bible in one year. And so it's about a 15-minute daily reading plan. You can get it online. You can go to the bookstore and get it however you like. But you, but you read the one year. And if you'll read every single day the 15-minute portion of Scripture, in one year you'll read through the entire Bible. 
Now, I need that because there are parts of the Bible that are a struggle to go through. When you're so-and-so begat so-and-so, and another guy begat this person, and another one, you go, oh, my Lord. But you know what? It's all important because it's all the living Word of God. You know, and you've got to, and so the discipline of reading the one year Bible makes me read portions of Scripture that I wouldn't naturally prefer to read. I would rather read stuff that says, I am victorious in Jesus Christ and I am powerful for God and I'm going to make it, and I want to read those Scriptures, you know. But sometimes I need to go back and start reading about the furnishings and utensils of the tabernacle. Because God, there's great symbolism in all of that. And as you read it more and more and over and over, uh, you begin to understand some of this stuff and you see how powerful this word called the Bible really, really is. And so I started reading the one-year Bible about 25 years ago. And I was going to say I can't tell you how many times I've been through the Bible, but I guess if I started reading it 25 years ago and it takes a year to read it, uh, I guess that means I've read the Bible through 25 times now or thereabouts, you know. Something like that. But my point is, it keeps me on track. I'm kind of joking around a little bit, but it keeps you on track. So whether you use that system or another, I don't care. But get into God's Word. Number two, you got to hear God's Word. Expose yourself to good Bible teaching and preaching. And that's the reason we add to our Sunday morning agenda our Wednesday night life classes, which take you deeper. Number three, meditate on God's Word. You know, I, when I read God's Word, I underline certain parts of it that have powerful principles in there that apply to today, not just to when they were written. And so, like, take, for instance, the, the, the Christmas story. And here you're reading about Mary uh, gonna, giving birth to the Messiah and all like that, and, it, and boy, you just love that story and all. But, you know, I'm not going to have a baby anytime soon. I may look like it, but I'm not going to actually have a baby anytime soon. And, and so, you know, the whole thing about the birth, it's powerful, but, you know, it's that part down there where the angel says to her, nothing shall be impossible with God. That's the part I underline because that works throughout the generations. That word works throughout the generations. We don't need another Messiah born. The one was enough. But we do need to know that God still works the impossible. And so I underline those principles that, are, that apply to us throughout our life. Amen? Okay, number four, memorize the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Might not sin against you. And then number five, apply God's word to your life. So God, how does what I've just read apply to my life today? And James 1 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And you can read the rest of that on your own. Number two, if you're going to have a transformed mind, you've got to filter out godless ideas. I think it's one of the most powerful things that you can learn to do, but it's hardly ever talked about. In fact, I've never had anybody ever, I've never heard them preach about this at all. But this is what I've learned. You've got to learn to filter out the evil that tries to impose itself on you every day. And so we live in this very sin-saturated society. You have got to learn to filter out the stuff you're going to allow to, to influence you and the stuff that you're not going to allow to influence you. Because if you allow the corrupt stuff to influence you, it's going to corrupt your thinking, which is going to put you in, in danger again. Now, every believer who wants to live victoriously has got to learn how to do this. You've got to be willing and able to look at things that, are, that you know are not right, hear things that you know are not right, 
and say, I do not accept that. I reject that. I, I will not accept that. So maybe you're watching a television show that's just been wonderful up to this point, and then all of a sudden something comes on that you know is, is just a, an anti-God or anti-godliness kind of, a, of, a, of an issue, and in your mind, they're, they're pushing this agenda, but in your mind you're saying, I do not accept that. I will not allow that in my life. So you can't avoid all godless philosophy. You can't avoid all godless uh, uh, conversation. You can't avoid all godless values out there. You've got to get tough on the inside and learn to pick and choose what you allow into your heart based on the word of God. And at, at what you're going to allow to influence you. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you allow that stuff to influence you, it's going to corrupt you. All right? Now, thirdly, the last thing, you got to focus your mind on right things. And so Paul says in Philippians 4.8, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, I, I got to tell you, this verse was critical to me in giving me victory over the depression I went through 16 years ago. It involved three steps. Now, you've got three blanks on your paper. These are not the fill-ins, so don't put these three steps. I didn't put this in your notes. This is just something I'm given, so don't write this down, all right? Unless you want to write it in the margin or something. But number one, I had to decide that I wasn't going to live in depression the rest of my life. You have to finally get to the point you say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Number two, I had to decide that God would help me if I made that step. If I made that decision, God, by his spirit, would help me to overcome. And number three, I had to start thinking right thoughts. That was really critical right there. Thinking right thoughts, which is what Philippians 4.8 is talking about. Now, it was hard. still is, because I have a tendency that direction anyway. So it, it was hard because Satan wanted to keep me trapped in depressive feelings. I will tell you, I went to counseling over it. Didn't do me much of any good. It was taking those three little steps that I just gave you. That's what brought the ultimate victory into my life, and I have to apply those still today. It's not like, well, that was back then. It still applies to today. All right. Now, from a practical point of view, here's the three things I want you to put in the spaces in your notes. Um, these three steps. Number one, you've got to think more about Jesus. Depression or any other stronghold gets you thinking almost exclusively about yourself. Hebrews 12.3 says, keep your mind on Jesus. You can read the rest of it. Number two, you've got to think more about other people. So you're thinking more about Jesus. You're thinking more about others. Philippians 2.4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in other people too. And then number three, you've got to start thinking about eternity. And I really want to focus on this one for just a minute. Colossians 3, think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. I love the way the Living Bible puts that, let heaven fill your thoughts. Isn't that good? Okay. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to close here in just a second. I was born into a Christian family, and it was a great privilege that I had to grow up this way. Uh, but 
my mom and dad, who are in heaven today, were a part of what is called oftentimes the greatest generation. They were World War II people. My dad, Carrie's dad, fought in Europe in World War II. Both of them were wounded. Um, and so um, there was something that I noticed about the Christians who were a part of that generation. Because they had come out of the Great Depression and because they had fought in World War II, they were, they were, um, they were accustomed, if you will, to sacrifice and, and to scarcity. They knew what it was to not have much of anything. Um, and because they had little of the world's stuff, they had their thoughts more on heaven than on the world. They were looking forward to a better day. Now, I, I just want to suggest to you that we, the children of, and grandchildren of that generation, are different. We, by and large, have not had scarcity and uh, have not had to sacrifice a whole lot. Now, our men and women who have served in the military over the various wars we've had since World War II have certainly sacrificed. But I'm talking about the homeland here. In, in the uh, 39 years that I've been alive, I've <laughs> not had to uh, sacrifice much of anything tell you the truth. I, I've not had scarcity. I mean, back in World War II, they, they, couldn't, they could only get so much gasoline. They couldn't buy new stuff because all the natural resources had to be used for the war effort. You understand that. Uh, that, was, that was to the people here at home. But you and I haven't had to do that. By and large, we have had in America over the last 50, 60 years uh, the real opportunity to improve ourselves. Not everybody has, but we've had the opportunity, by and large, to improve ourselves. Now, what that has done to us, and this is just my opinion, okay? This is not, thus saith the Lord, this is just, thus saith Jim. So you can reject it, and you don't have any problem with that. But I just want you to think about it. What that has done to us, since we haven't had much sacrifice and scarcity in the natural, is it has weakened us as believers, it has weakened a lot of us spiritually. Because many believers today are more focused on what Jesus will do for them in terms of this life, in the here and now. And if it's not what, if he's not doing for them what they want in the here and now, they're out the door. And I've seen it over and over and over and over again. It, it, it's a problem that we have in terms of our, of our um, all-out, sold-out commitment to God. Now, I want you to know that God does bless his people. He wants to bless your life. But he never wants us to get to the point that we're so in love with this world that it becomes the highest priority of our lives. Let me just give you a couple scriptures, and we'll wrap it up. James chapter 4, verse 4 says... Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Wow. Let's go down to 1 John 2.15. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you, for when you love the things, these things, you show that you do not really love God. You know, you can read the rest of it. One of the most important things you can do to see your life 
changed, your life transformed, is to focus it on what is the most important and what is to come. Even longing for it in your heart. Let me close with two scriptures. First of all is 1 Corinthians 2.9. I used this in a funeral yesterday. It says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What that's saying to me is there is nothing in this world worth selling out eternity for. Nothing. No bitterness towards somebody who's hurt you. No amount of money. No financial gain. You know, on and on. No, no affair is worth selling out heaven for. And we need to keep heaven at the forefront of our thinking. In fact, so much so that the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, said this right at the end. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I tell you what, I pray that all the time. It's my greatest desire. I told you that I, I grew up in the church, and so I, I've known about the coming of the Lord from the time I was a kid. And I, oh yeah, come Lord Jesus. But you know what? If, if you would just wait until I get my driver's license, I would really like to have a driver's license first. And maybe you laugh because maybe you thought the same thing if you knew about the coming of the Lord back then. But the point is, we can just say, there's so many things that we can say. I want you to come Jesus, but if you would just wait until this or that would happen. I'd sure like it better. What I'm saying to you is there's absolutely nothing in this world. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.